0: It's 8.30 on Friday, March 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi reaches parity in its effort to expand vaccine access to communities of color. Then the Tax Freedom Act is dead, but the push to transform tax policy continues. We hear from the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Plus, the Hawkins versus Town of Shaw project is recognized by the Mississippi Humanities Council. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The number of African Americans receiving the coronavirus vaccine in Mississippi is on the rise. For the first time last week, 38 percent of vaccines were administered to African Americans, matching the percentage of Mississippians who are black population. Dr. Claude Brunson, executive director of the Mississippi State Medical Association, says the state needs to continue vaccination efforts in black communities. He tells our Kobe Vats the association worked with the health department to design a plan that could serve as a model for the nation.
1: We have actually been very intentional uh, here at the Mississippi State Medical Association. We're working with Dr. Dobbs and the State Department of Health to try and make sure that uh, we address issues of equity. About a month and a half ago, when the first statistics came out, I think there was about uh, 15 percent of the um, vaccinations had gone to to the African-American community, and obviously we make up about 38 percent of the population And so we started working with Dr. Dobbs and the health department at that, at that point in time. Um, we actually organized some public vaccination events because we were trying to address two issues. The ability of the vaccine to give to, to any Mississippian, certainly in the African American community and address issues uh, of vaccine hesitancy. Um, and then we had other issues of concern was about African Americans, um, Getting appointments using the appointment system that the state had set up, and so we started uh, working on on uh, special events that we were holding in the African American community with churches and community health centers that uh, we we negotiated with the health department to set up those events and that went very well and I think it's those sorts of things that we did in partnership with the health department and um, um leaders in the African-American community and communities of color uh, that has uh, made us get to the success point that Dr. Dobbs mentioned the other day.
2: And now, could you talk about what vaccine parity is and uh, why it's important to to reach that goal?
1: Well, I mean, vaccine parity is just basically saying that um, we're equitably distributing the vaccine across the population in our state. If African-Americans make up 38% of the population, then there that, that should be 38% or, or so uh, in, somewhere in that range of vaccinations or shots going into arms uh, in the African-American community. The other thing that was significant about this is, um, though African-Americans may make up a smaller percentage of the population, they're actually getting infected at, at multiple times the rates uh, that African-Americans exist in the population. And they were dying at even more multiple times uh, that rate. And so it was a vulnerable population that was at very high risk. And we did to make sure that there was equity of fairness in the distribution of the vaccine and making sure we were reaching those communities uh, well, where the citizens were vulnerable and at highest risk for severe illness and death.
2: And now Mississippi has the highest percentage, the percentages of African Americans in the in the nation, and yet Dr. Dobbs says we might be the first in the nation to reach this parity. How have you seen other states uh, dealing with this issue, and what do you think helped Mississippi reach this before other states, even though we have such a higher percentage of African Americans than other states?
1: We started out with the intentionality to design a plan or a program that would work that could also be reproducible. And so everything that we did, um, we talked through, we thought out, and we had intention in it. And I think that's been the biggest reason for why we've gotten to where we are is is we have planned everything, we've talked through everything, and we've actually um, followed through on the things that we said we were going to do. And the health department has worked uh, with a number of us, organizations in the community and other leaders, in the community to make to make that happen.
2: Dr. Claude Brunson is executive director of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Dr. Brunson, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you.
0: Coming up, the Tax Freedom Act is dead, but the push to transform tax policy continues. We hear from the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app.
4: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi House plan to phase out the state income tax is uncertain of passage as legislators enter the final days of the session. Jameson Taylor with the Mississippi Center for Public Policy says he wouldn't rule out a bill featuring some measure of reform passing, but he says he understands the Senate passing a bill to study the issue. He tells our Desiree Frazier the push to reform Mississippi's tax structure is paired with desired to remove it from the list of poorest states in the nation.
2: Mississippi and West Virginia are both looking at this idea of eliminating their state income tax. And what do those two states have in common? Well, in fact, Mississippi and West Virginia are the two poorest states in the United States. They also are states that are losing a lot of population. And so both states and the leaders in both states feel like they have to do something significant to make a splash, to encourage people to move to their states, to also encourage people to stay in their state. And so Speaker Philip Gunn decided, hey, now's the time I'm going to put out a very robust tax plan to eliminate Mississippi, Mississippi's income tax. Uh, and that's what he's done. So I think there are a lot of things to think about with tax policy. But uh, perhaps the most important is that the nine states that don't have a state income tax, their economies are growing and a lot of people are moving to those states.
4: Well, the lieutenant governor, um, he has asked for reports from uh, the state economists and accountants about unintended consequences and what this will mean for the state's revenue overall. The Senate decided to kill the bill. Now the House as you know, has inserted that language into a Senate bill, which is 2971. And that bill is a bond bill for the College Board and the Mississippi Development Authority. But in looking at this uh, bill and the modifications that they
2: have made,
4: does this sound like sounder policy to you, something that they can work with?
2: Well, I have never taken the speaker's tax plan as simply take it or leave it. I think he put it out there to start the conversation and there are many ways in which that bill could be amended. And so what we're seeing now is just a continuing dialogue about what should the state's long-term tax policy look like. It seems like there's uh, at least agreement in the House that a big part of a tax policy should entail eliminating the income tax or eliminating uh, a significant Portion of the state income tax, and that's important because you, when you tax something, you get less of it. And so if we are taxing income, we're basically taxing work, and so we're discouraging people from earning more income. We're discouraging people from working. But we know that, I mean, part of the American dream is is to get get a good job so you can support your family. Uh, and getting that good job, you know, you want to earn a good wage, you want to earn an income, and the less of that that we tax then it gives people more incentive to earn more money. So at the same time, the the tricky part is, where is the the lost revenue going to come from? Now seems to be a good time to start this conversation about how we're going to eliminate the income tax. And moreover, it's a good time to look at our state spending. We have certain priorities for the state, uh, for instance, education and transportation. But are there other things that we are funding that are maybe not such a great idea? I mean, one thing that's being looked at, for instance, is businesses that move into Mississippi. They get big tax breaks. Now, we need to think about that, because if it requires that we give a company a tax break for them to come to Mississippi, if that's in fact good policy, instead of giving targeted tax breaks, instead of giving some people tax breaks, let's give everyone a tax break. And so not only more individuals will move to Mississippi, if we give everyone a tax break, but more companies, businesses will move to Mississippi. But you know, again, there's a balancing act that has to be done with uh, with these taxes, taxes on income and taxes on sales. And so what you're seeing right now is a dialogue just over how is that going to work out? The issue, though, is where do you make up that money? In 2020, the income tax
4: generated $1.8 billion for the state. The state's budget this year is about $6 billion. So the state economist in his study said it would take seven or eight years to balance it out so that that income tax loss and the sales tax increase would balance out over time seven or eight years.
2: Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, we have a state budget that's uh it's more than six billion. But then we have that additional federal money coming t- into the state. And so overall, our budget's twenty one billion. So,
4: yeah, but so that's one time money, I
2: mean, right? Well, no, not no, not all of it. I mean, I mean, they spend it in
4: two or three years, but the state can't count on that.
2: Well, but generally our budget runs at about nineteen, twenty billion. And it did see a, a boost uh last year. But if we include all of the, the federal funding, uh, that's coming in. So, you know, it's it's a bit of money that, that lawmakers have to work with. But I think the thing to, to think about is um, we do have experience with this. Uh, North Carolina in particular is a model of a state that uh, decisively enacted a very good tax policy, but one that builds up to cutting taxes over time. And what that technically is called is a revenue trigger. And what that means is that as state revenue goes up, then taxes go down. Now, that makes a lot of sense because if the state's getting more money, then they don't need as much money. They should be able to cut taxes. And so in the speaker's original plan, you did have this uh, this trigger where taxes would go down as revenue went up. I think that's the principle that our state leadership is committed to is just kind of figuring out what is the balance going to be with that trigger. We we talk about how uh, tax policy affects people's behavior, but you know there's a limit to that. If you really if you really want uh, people to move to Mississippi, you have to have bold tax policy, and you have to have reliable tax policy, and so it has to be a strong, solid plan to encourage people to move to Mississippi. Well, in Mississippi,
4: where the salaries are lower, although the cost of living is lower, the salaries are also lower. We have a lot of people living in poverty. There is a think tank in Washington, D.C. that looked at this and found that the bottom 60% of Mississippi's income earners will be paying more taxes under the legislation. It might vary a little bit because they looked at the original bill, um, but even with the modifications in the second bill, Poor yeah, people, and- it sounds like are going to come out worse off.
2: Well, I think that it's, it's something to think about because as you earn more income, then you have more money to, to buy things with. And so even though if the sales tax goes up and things are a little bit more expensive, if you cut the income tax then you have more money to buy things with. And so Ole Miss did a study showing that we're better off at the end of the day with eliminating our income tax. Uh, even if that entails increasing our sales tax. Now that said, I think that uh, there's have to be sensitive to what a lot of Mississippi families are experiencing right now, which are increased cost of living. And so I think at the same time, as we're looking at cutting taxes and frankly, um, cutting taxes is something that I think Republicans have decided that they're very comfortable with doing right now. That said, I think we do have to be sensitive to the needs of working families. And so we need to make sure that if we're going to increase people's incomes, that we're increasing incomes for the average family in Mississippi. Now, in fact, this Ole Miss study uh, that I mentioned, which we feature on our website, mspolicy.org, they do find that uh, the average Mississippi household is going to get Eight thousand additional dollars as a result of eliminating the income tax. What I would ask is, can we do more? Instead of, for instance, uh, a lot of this government money going to government contracts and things like that, can we get more of this money into just the ordinary hands of uh, into the hands of ordinary Mississippians? Can we make sure that uh, that families and individuals are getting this money so that they can do something productive with?
4: So in your estimation, you would like to see it removed. You think it needs more study. This is the beginning of the discussion and there won't be an income tax, uh, state income tax bill, elimination bill this session.
2: No, I wouldn't say that. I think that... um... You know, on the one hand, that this issue has been studied quite a bit because we do have examples like North Carolina and other states as to how to do this. And certainly, I mean, this is not the first time that the speaker has mentioned the idea of eliminating the income tax. He, he, and in fact, the governor does support eliminating it, too. The, the governor does support it. But in fact, the speaker worked on this idea, I think it was about six years ago now. Uh, so, I mean, this has been something that the speaker has been carefully looking at for quite some time. Uh, you know, at the same time, I can understand that the lieutenant governor wants to look at this a little bit more carefully. We've seen Josh Harkins, the Senate finance chairman, said that he wants to look at it more carefully. Our state economist is very well respected. People want to hear what he has to say. One feature of the Mississippi legislature of the session is that it just goes so quickly. It, it is really hard to study these complex issues. Uh, you know, but at the same time, we're seeing the legislature that um, they may be going home a little bit early. They wanna save some days uh, so that they can come back into town and figure out what to do with some of the federal COVID money. It may be that uh, you know maybe they should study this issue over the summer and come back in August and pass a good tax plan. Uh, so I can't predict exactly what's going to happen. Something could pass this week. Uh, it looks like they are going to take more time to talk about it.
4: Yeah, the Senate has passed uh, a bill that will create a study committee to review it and to hold hearings and, and to look at it further. Well, Jamison, we really appreciate your time. Jamison Taylor with the Mississippi Center for Public Policy for your insights on this issue. Thank
2: you. Thank you very much, Desiree. I really appreciate you and all of your listeners.
0: Coming up, the Hawkins versus Town of Shaw project is recognized by the Mississippi Humanities Council. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learns their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In the late 1960s in Mississippi, the small town of Shaw had to defend itself against a class action lawsuit over inequities in community services for black residents. It was filed by a man named Andrew Hawkins and became a groundbreaking federal civil rights case. Yet not many know the story. That changes tonight when the Mississippi Humanities Council awards the Hawkins versus Town of Shaw Project the Preserver of Mississippi Culture Prize. Shaw resident and coordinator of the project, Dr. Tim LaWashington, shares the details, starting with the discrimination suffered by blacks in the town.
3: Those disparities were in the sewage system, water drainage, lighting, fire hydrants, street paving. The basic amenities that one would think would be spread throughout the town or that citizens would have a right to have access to. They were taxpaying citizens. And nothing was being done. Their complaints, their requests were being ignored.
0: This, as I understand it, was the first case that proved through statistics that blacks were being discriminated against.
3: Yes, that's exactly what my understanding has been. From looking at other cases that went before the court on these types of disparities, his was the first one that was successful I would think because of the statistical data that they were able to present before the courts, because when they first went into the court, they were denied. Judge Katie denied them, sent them back to the town and said that this was not a case for the court. This was not their jurisdiction. This was a matter that he felt the citizens of the town should settle at the ballot box by voting in people that represented their interests. And of course, that was impossible during that time when blacks had no control. So on appeal when they went back, the uh, appeal court said we can't ignore this. The statistical data that's been presented and mind you, they had a map. And on this map they showed where these disparities existed in the town in comparison for black side and white side. Hawkins versus Town of Shaw was a case that was basically gone unheard of ever since it had happened. And it wasn't until myself and a few more citizens in the town approached Congressman Benny Thompson, as well as the Hawkins family and the city officials at the time, that was in 2019, about commemorating this case because of its impact on the entire country. Many people hadn't heard of Hawkins versus Town of Shaw. And we started making phone calls and bringing awareness to it. And thank God it was a case that individuals saw that it needed to be brought out and shared with the rest of not just Mississippi, but the rest of the country because of its widespread impact, much like Brown versus Board of Education.
0: Tim La Washington is the coordinator of the. Hawkins versus Town of Shaw Project. It is receiving the Preserver of Mississippi Culture Award at Mississippi Humanities Council's Awards tonight at 7 on their Facebook and YouTube pages. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing this fascinating story with us. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio.